Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me is News Editor Tool. Howdy. And regular contributor Byron. Yay, I'm back. This, Hello. This, this week we're looking at how Toyota's performance focused GR Hilux is shaping up. A lot of interest around uh, the potential for that car. We'll look at some fresh metal and look a couple of ring-ins, um, an Aussie classic and uh, Tung's recent purchase in the Cars Guide garage. And we'll look at someone who lives by the doctrine of promises made, promises kept-ish in this week's Muskwatch. So stay with us. But first, happily, we've had some feedback on last week's episode. And then we were talking about brands that are on the edge, the bottom of the, the list, as it were, in terms of new car sales in Australia. And we had a few, like I think we were talking about Citroen and, and Peugeot and Fiat and Chrysler. And we, we put Genesis in there, even though it's a, a startup effectively, that was in that, that group of five as well. And Rico says, four out of five lowest selling brands in Australia, Stellantis off to a great start. Um, so, <laughs> and I've got to say, I've always thought that Stellantis sounds like a pharmaceutical company. It's uh, making pills rather than cars. Do you, does that, does it, is it the same with you guys? That sounds just a bit odd as a name for an automotive company. Uh, to me, it sounds like, yeah, absolutely. That's spot on, James. It, uh, for me, it's pharmaceutical, but also for maybe some, for a rash or something that, you know, yes. might yes. require a couple of weeks of antibiotics, like strong oh. antibiotics to get rid of. Well, okay, so you're, stuff, you're suffering from Stellantis. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like streptococcal family. There is something very cold and corporate about that name, isn't it? There's no, it just feels like there's no passion uh, behind that brand or that name. That's so it'll be interesting point. to see how they go. Yeah. And, yeah, well, and, and it sounds Greek to me. Like, like I'm thinking, <laughs> Stellantis? Is that like, you know, is that from the Parthenon? It's an undersea city that, uh, you know, no one's actually been able to find. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, we right, need... well, Peter Crop chipped in and said, look, the 500 did well when it came out. And he still thinks it's an awesome, if outdated, um, car. But it goes to FCA not doing enough. He, he calls it their typical thing in not replacing or cycling through their cars quickly enough to maintain customer loyalty. That by the time someone's had their, their stretch with an FCA product, there's nothing for them to think about as, as a fresh offering. So I thought that was an interesting point too. Indeed, indeed. And uh, the 500, actually, you may recall, guys, that it was, it was relaunched in 2013 as a 13 drive away proposition. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. thing, they must have lost pretty much like all their profit margins on that car selling it at that, that point. That was a changeover from an independent distributor to uh, a direct subsidiary um, from the factory. And I think there was a decision made, all right, if we're going to do this, we're going to make an investment in terms of pricing and uh, get a bit of volume going. But it's just, a, it's just an old car now. Yes, totally. yes. Totally. Yeah. The new generation one was electric, uh, and we all know where Australia stands on electric cars. Okay. So... Right. It'll be yes. interesting to see where where FCA Australia takes the 500 in the future. Yes, too true. Um, Senior Bob says Fiat 500, the Vespa with a roof, I love it, but they are way too expensive, and, and he wasn't alone in saying that. Um, to cook our old mate, 
said that a friend recently gave um, him a ride in a Mini Cooper S, uh, loved the refinement, sharp ride, engine sound, blah, blah, blah. But then I looked up the price and it's just insane, you know, for a three-door hatchback. And he says it's a similar story for the 500, that, um, you know, if you look at it as the Emperor has no clothes, what you're looking at is a small car um, and the price is pretty substantial. So I think that's a fair point. Um, Fun fact, though, um, they, they make great second-hand buyers, uh, manual only, by the way, because uh, <laughs> no one wants that geologic automatic rubbish. Yes. But, um, yes. yeah, you can pick up like a five-year-old 500 for well under 10K. Yeah, yeah. And it, look, it is. It's a less. super cute little car. And some of those limited edition versions are particularly mm. appealing. Mm. Um, I mean, often limited editions are a sign of distress, but I think some of those were just celebrating the, the fun nature of the car. Um, I'm thinking of the one that looked like it had steel wheels with a little hubcap in, in the center. Anniversario. That Anniversario. I, I particularly like that one. Yep. Uh, yep. Um, now, Pranav Shroti said very interesting topic in terms of looking at these brands that were at the other end of the scale. Um, FCA Group is struggling in the Indian market as well. Um, he says, so, you know, Pranav joins us from India. Um, Jeep showed lots of promise, but it went off the boil. Fiat left. Citroen seems interested, but no concrete launch date. So I don't think Citroen's in the Indian market at the moment. I uh, wonder if there's a leadership issue. And <laughs> I wonder if there's actually a looming leadership issue when you think about the merging of um, such a, a French company with a, a US slash Italian company. Um, culturally, there's going to be some challenges, I think, in, in bringing those two things together. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I I, I can't imagine that. I, I'd like to think it would be the United Nations of the European car industry slash American car industry. But what do you reckon, guys? I think there's a lot of egos there, Americans, Italians. Yeah, I mean, when you French. think about Chrysler, Chrysler's uh, time with Daimler, um, and that didn't work out so well. I don't know what was happening in the back room. Who knows? But just two very different styles of company. Uh, trying to form one entity, and uh, this one you've got two or three different very strong cultures um, trying to marry up. Uh, so whoever's uh, looking after all of that has their work cut out for them, I reckon. Just to just to play devil's advocate, though, I think if you try to look at the bigger picture, you know, FCA is quite strong in America in the North American market, and uh, you know, Persia Citroen is quite strong with the European market. So uh, yes. you know, there's not there's not much overlap between uh, market share of those two brands. So maybe yep. uh, this could be a marriage made in heaven and it could, you know, make them both stronger. I think as we've touched on before, um, the North American market, the US in particular, is very demanding when it comes to customer service and, and they want to be treated well. They want their product to be reliable. Um, and that's often a challenge for people coming into North America if they've been away for a while, as Peugeot has been. Um, boy, you know, it's a, it's a shock. Um, the, the demand that that market makes on you in terms of after sales. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, just further to the comment about um, Jeep in India as well, um, just as an aside, our uh, Jeep, FCA Australia's current uh, CEO, uh, ran Jeep of India and set up uh, the factory that builds the, uh, the Compass. 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 That's right. Uh, Kevin okay. Flint. So, um, and he left and came here. So perhaps he was a driving force in India that, um, they're missing now, so let's yep. see if if FCA can uh, can ramp themselves back up to. Yep. Well, Jeep does well in Australia, but they can do better. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, we then moved some commentary on the cars that we had in the garage last week, and Crafty had been driving the new Toyota Fortuna, and Bertie, our old mate Bertie, uh, proud Victorian, you guys will be pleased to know, um, he says he just saw Crafty's review on the Fortuna. The front looks better. However, its side profile is woeful. Uh, it looks like a 75 Corona plonked on a 4x4 chassis, um, like the 1979 Overland wagon with the HZ as a donor car. And that was a great memory that that brought up. People on YouTube, I managed to grab some photographs of the, the Overland. Uh, Overlander, I think it was actually called. So that was a Tasmanian company that um, struck an arrangement with Holden and put a full-on off-road 4x4 underpinning under HZ wagon, van, and ute. Uh, and it sold in very small numbers, but they're super distinctive. So interesting take on the Fortuna from Bertie there. Um, <laughs> you know, have you ever seen an Overlander in no, your time? No, I've only ever seen photographs. I've never yeah. seen I remember reading about it back in the day in, in the magazines in Modern Motor and Wheels, and I, I always thought, wow, why can't they just build this in the factory like this? It'd be unreal. It would be huge fun. It's almost like you've pulled a prank on people, you know. Yeah. Um, Sukhoi Romantic. Now, I, I knew Sukhoi rang a bell. It's a Russian aircraft manufacturer, of course, and I mm. was looking through them. It's SU-35 looks pretty dangerous. Um, as a fighter plane, so <laughs> there you go. Said they should call the Fortuna the Hilux Surf, and of course that's got yeah. some uh, some history behind it. Um, and Bertie thought they should they simply need a gaudy sticker pack, some weird seat trim, and they'd have a forerunner. So mm. I think what that goes to is the sentiment that Fortuna may be an impediment for that car. Um, why not Hilux Seven? Or yeah, okay, call it the Forerunner. Um, or call it the Hilux Surf or something. But uh, anyway, that, interesting thoughts. It's worked it's the, quite uh, well with Mitsubishi, uh, calling yeah. their, um, you know, their SUV Pajero Sport. You can yeah. tap into an existing nameplate. Uh, you know, your, there's marketing overlap there, so you know, there is definitely precedence. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, it's the uh, Ford Endura um, uh, uh, Jinx, isn't it? Like, just a terrible name. It's Ford Gina. Which pro- probably pleases Ford because they weren't allowed to use Edge because Toyota used the name Edge for Enduro. Yes. And now Toyota has a similar problem with Fortuna. So. Yeah. Well, it's a chicken or the egg thing, isn't it? You know, is the name on the nose because of the vehicle or is the vehicle on the nose because of the name? Um, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, then, then we got into some more general feedback. And de Kook raised it. Um, he said he thought we might have been shooting in the uh, southerly buster that came through last Thursday because my Wi-Fi was so appalling and I've got to put out a general apology that it was super frustrating and you might notice I've gone to a different location um, for, this, for this week and I apologise to Cook and everybody else who was uh, watching or listening last week. It was pretty tragic. So hopefully we're doing better this week. Um, Jim Danick said, not sure that you have to change the podcast name because Home Wilson, uh, Home Wilson had said that we should change it to Three Wankers Talk Shit. Um, which, <laughs> um, he said, look, you know, Jim Danick reckons that tools in the shed seems very appropriate. But he says in brackets, seriously, the best car podcast. So thank you very much for that, uh, Jim. Thank you. Uh, look, FG, FBG Slug um, said, always great to hear Crafty, 4x4 OG, which I take to mean original gangster. And um, if... 
if Crafty is the he is the original gangster of of four by four, that's for sure. So thank you, FBG Slug. Um, and Birdie came in again and said, Ah, now I get it. The old MG stood for Morris Garages. Uh, the new Chinese MG stands for monosodium glutamate because um, Jim Danik had been um, talking about how it was a smorgasbord of MG offerings yeah. and uh, what he wanted to, um, to choose from the menu. So that's what that's about. Um, now, <laughs> what do we got now? Let's see if says, recramped cities. Do you ever think that the very light cars like Picanto, Ignis, uh, Mirage, that class of car, will ever make a comeback? a la Hyundai Getz, when it was popular, I've got to say that's, what, 15 years ago when the Getz was really in its prime? Um, is, it, is it, you know, done and dusted and gone forever? Or what do you guys think? Do you think a small car like that could make a comeback? 100%. Um, and I think the future in that class is simply in EVs. Um, yep. You know, small yep. city run, run, runabouts, uh, you know, with uh, huge charging stations, you know, you can, you can plug it in, drive around the city, 200 kilometres of range, no problem at all, you know? Yep. That's, That's an interesting thought. Opinion, that yeah. is an interesting thought. Byron, yeah. what do you yeah. think? Uh, yes, I completely agree with Tung. That is very much the way I think the long-term future of this, of this segment will go. Uh, but in the midterm, um, I believe the Kia Picanto certainly makes money for Kia and has is the dominating force, I think it's 60 or 70% of that segment. And it will get, it is about to get higher because there's more entrance leave. I think that uh, that car proves that a price point plus quality works. If they cross over by that sort of car in a way that Hyundai kind of intended with the venue, but they couldn't quite get the pricing down low enough uh, yet, uh, then that's where I think the future will be. So, I think a higher riding, uh, you know, 3.5 metre hatchback certainly would kick ass in. And, and to the Tung's point, probably electrified, if, if not fully the hybrid in the shorter term. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, of like, course, that's a natural um, fit because of, you know, urban requirements for noise and pollution and also the fact that, you know, people would respond, particularly if it looks like a, you know, if it's a hipster-looking retro-inspired, you know, 500-esque so, thing, yeah. Byron, it sounds like by what from what you're describing, it sounds like you're talking about the Suzuki Ignis. That's a jacked up light hatchback with quirky styling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the the Ignis, unfortunately, is too expensive. I think for what it, what for its potential, and that's probably not uh, the importer's fault. That's probably just the source pricing, but it's almost there. And you know, people often, I mean, I don't know, people have asked you guys, what do you think of the Ignis and yeah, they, they're they're a bit shocked when they realise how small it is, but it, the styling certainly catches your, your attention, and it's a good looking thing, and it's probably got the it. best Suzuki interior at the moment as well. I love it. I love the. It's a bit polarising though. My significant other um, felt exactly the opposite about the Ignis, but uh, I really like it. Totally, I think they should do a sporty version with a, a nice turbocharged engine. Uh, you know, borrow the transmission out of the Swift Sport. And you know, there you go. You got a light yeah. performance hatch. Uh, sorry, yeah. light performance SUV. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, look, <laughs> on the on the subject of small cars, De Cook ch uh, chipped in again and said um, he he noticed that I'd mentioned that the new Fiat 500 was way bigger than the original um, 500 from the 50s and 60s and and on. 
Um, and he has a photograph, which people on YouTube will be able to see, which is his smart for two uh, next to an original 500. Now, when I see a smart on the road, you just think, gosh, that thing is so, so tiny. Well, have a look at that photo. It absolutely monsters um, the old 500. And DeCook makes the point, you know, the oldie would sit four and offered carried six, you know, with four kids in the back when, you, when you're really pushing it. And he's so right. And he agrees with Steve Corby, who made the point um, that he was uh, sorry to have seen Smart go from this market because uh, de Kolk, as an owner and, and what have you, when he was in Germany, um, sees so much good in it. So interesting point. And it does look huge in that photograph. Um, yeah. Now, Shem Mack uh, says, well, you learn something every day. I didn't know that LDV was Leyland Daff, and it was Leyland Daff Vans, which was the original uh, meaning underpinning LDV. Um, surprised they don't have that on their vehicles. And he said, another great show, and, and that's terrific. Thank you, Shem. But Bertie came in and said, as long as they don't use the Marina, Tasman, and Kimberley names, they should be good. Perhaps an LDV P76 Mark II instead of one 44-gallon drum, uh, you can fit two. So <laughs> those, those names, Marina and Tasman and Kimberley, and people on YouTube will see we've got some uh, pics of those amazing vehicles. Um, yeah, so fair, oh, fair, call, fair call, Bertie. Lay off, lay off the Kimberley and Tasman. I think that those cars certainly had the issues, but they were pretty good back in their day. The Marina was, you know, yeah, rubbish. But, <laughs> yeah, the, I, I to like be, To be charitable, the idea was right. The, the, the design was right. Maybe it was to do more with execution and where that company was um, at that point in time as much as anything else. But I, I think much. the idea was right. Mm. Um, now, Luke Holmes had a lot to say. Um, so we'll just kind of paraphrase, uh, paraphrase what he was saying. He made the point that we were talking about the MG Gloucester a couple of weeks ago. Um, the seven-seat SUV that could potentially come here. It's for the Indian market initially. Uh, he says, I'm sure you're aware the city and the aeroplane company have a different spelling. Um, we don't want Crafty misspelling his whole review. And you've got, uh, of course, Gloucester, G-L-O-S-T-E-R, is the vehicle and the aircraft. And you've got Gloucester, G-L-O-U-C-E-S-T-E-R, um, as the place in the UK, there's a Gloucester in New South Wales and Australia. I'm sure they're all over the place. So fair call, Luke. Thank you. Um, on the Defender, he says he'd buy it. We were thinking it was a little bit pricey. Um, he says the base model is the one he'd buy because of the steel wheels as much as anything else. Um, we, were, we were also decrying a relatively disengaged off-road four-wheel drive experience because there are so many systems to help you. It's as if you're just a passenger um, behind the driving seat. But he says that's perfect for him. Uh, because he has a heavy foot and two left hands. So, you know, to go off-road <laughs> off and get all that help is, is perfect. And he also says, well, where else do you go? You know, Prado, LC200, Patrol, um, a Wrangler. Um, then you're into MUX and Everest and Fortuna and Pajero Sport. He's, he's all for it. He, he likes it. Um, and he said he'd been sitting there for five minutes thinking about why he should buy any of those and couldn't come up with, with a good reason. <laughs> that was kind of fun. Um, uh, I have one word to say to that, and that's um, Bronco. <laughs> that's right. That's that's right. And your feeling, and you know, deep deep source, um, deep state intel is that you shouldn't write Bronco off for Australia. Yeah, is that right, oh, Brian? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, Ford is just probably just teasing and trying to get some momentum behind and, you know, just want to make sure that the market is ready because that thing is obviously right-hand drive ready. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I reckon yeah. they just want to gauge the market and then press the button. Um, I mean, that thing already is selling. Like, what's the waiting list on, on it now? Isn't it like 18 months already? It's, it's young. It's, it's and I suppose when you've, got, when you've got an existing range to sell, you don't want the spectre of a car just over the horizon crueling your chances in the showroom right now. So, yeah, it's probably not a bad tactic um, yeah. to keep it quiet. And they probably can't get much production out of the plant right now because it is so popular in the in the domestic US market. Exactly. And uh, there's also a lot of next year's Ranger or the yep. 2022 Ranger in yep. the, uh, the Bronco, given yeah. that they're both T6. And so they probably don't want to draw too much attention to the nitty-gritty <laughs> stuff of that car, <laughs> but, you know. Uh, there's, yeah, don't be surprised if some of the Broncos features start popping up. And Luke, we're still inside. with Luke Holmes. He, he made a comment on the Battlers and Stellantis, and he said, you know, what a schmozzle. And uh, gold star for use of the word schmozzle there. I think that's, that's outstanding. <laughs> um, not since, uh, not yeah, since Laverne and Shirley. Don't they use the word schmozzle or something Luke, in the... My, my old mum is my a massive schmozzle lover. She, she uh, uses that word on a regular basis. Um, he says, look, when was the last time you heard of a concept car or a vision for the future for Chrysler or Dodge? It all seems to be about, you know, a depleted product range for Fiat. Um, he does say that the Giorgio platform, which will go underneath various products like the next um, Grand Cherokee, um, Chrysler and Dodge products, um, Alpha as well, uh, that could offer some hope. But he just th he's just very disappointed that there's nothing really happening. Um, with that group of of brands, so well, the last concept was actually revealed a couple of weeks ago in the form of uh, the Grand Wagoneer. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. Absolutely, yep. yes, that yep. flies in the face of that. So fair call. She's uh, pushing Jeep a little bit more upmarket, a little bit more premium, a bit more yep. luxury. Yep. I yep. like it. I like yep. it. What do you reckon, Tom? Yep. Do you like? Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's a bold move, but I think it's one that they need to make. I think it's yep. striking. I think it really knocks your eyeballs out. Whether you like it or not, it makes a big visual statement. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at, at the end of all of that, Luke said, you know, that's my opinion piece for the week. Look forward to his check in the mail. You're not going to get it, Luke. Sorry. You get, <laughs> you're dreaming, mate. You've got no chance. Um, and then we, we rounded out the, um, the feedback with the Lorax, who says, hey, gentlemen, regarding not buying smaller cars, he, has, he says he currently has a 2015 Holden Ute, and he uses the length of the tray regularly. So for him, a dual cab Ute is not so great because, yes, you get the extra passenger seat, uh, space rather, but the tub is actually quite small. So he's thinking he's more in for a, a RAV4, um, but only if they bring the prime PHEV because you can actually fit stuff that's just under two metres if, if you configure the interior properly, but he, he'll only buy it if it's the plug-in um, hybrid version, which isn't in our market uh, at this point. Um, he says, yeah, the, the RAV4 will carry something six foot long with the seats down and undercover. Um, none of the current things with trays can do that. And he says he's an artist and he transports paintings around and he needs to that cover um, like, like his current ute uh, has. So he's obviously got a, a hard tonneau on the, on the Holden ute. So there you go. Holden is, ute to RAV4, which is an unpredictable move. Is the obvious answer not a wagon? Maybe. But, <laughs> but then the, the, the choices of wagon have, have reduced really as well, haven't they? Yep, yep, that's true. You can you can uh, probably get a Mondeo wagon if you're quick, yeah, or which uh, is a or, great wagon. Yeah, yeah, 
um, or obviously a ZB Commodore if you can find one. I'm sure you'll be able to find a ZB wagon still. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, uh, but not the five. Sadly, not the five hundred eight wagon because as beautiful as that thing is, it's it's not very capacious, is it? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to the Lorax and thank you to everybody that um, gave us their thoughts. Um, we couldn't run all of it, but um, thank you nonetheless. And we'll, we'll move to our main topic of conversation, which has proved a bit of a hit in terms of uh, anything we've been running news-wise about this vehicle in the last week or so, and that's the prospect of a GR Hilux, so a Gazoo Racing, a performance version of the Hilux. Um, it's, a, it's a couple of years away, but our latest mail, courtesy of Andrew Chesterton, says that it's po poised to be a bit of a monster. Um, that uh, contrary to other markets, this performance vehicle could have a 3.3 litre V6 to make it what would be the world's most powerful diesel ute, um, according to Chesto. So that sounds pretty exciting. Tung, you've been wrangling all of this news. What do you make of it? Yep, I mean, it's, it's what Toyota needs to do. It's what everyone is uh, wanting, you know. Uh, the punters want it. Toyota are building their Gazoo Racing brand. You know, they've got Super already. They're coming in with Yaris. They'll have Corolla coming up. It just makes sense for them to expand into a, uh, you know, the pickup space. Yep. Um, yep. You can't leave Ford's, uh, Ford's Ranger Raptor to hog all the glory, can you? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And, I mean, some of the images that we've got, they've already started down that path in other markets. I've got to actually double check whether or not we can access them. But various accessories that start to beef up your, your Hilux a bit um, with a bash plate and, and side steps and other bits and pieces that give it that more macho look. Um, yep. But yeah, other markets to get a 2.8 litre diesel, um, which is I think what the car runs, runs now, but with this bigger engine, yeah, you're looking at outputs in excess of 200 kilowatts and 650 newton metres, which, which is plenty. And if you then start to play with suspension you know, Raptor style, uh, it really gets interesting in that part of the market. Mm -hmm. But don't well, get your up too much because apparently it's not coming until the next generation Hilux. Uh, uh, you uh, took the words out of my uh, mouth there, Tom. Sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, so you're yeah. around 2023, but, you know, I let's see. be honest. I mean, um, Toyota aren't the only brand in that space that are toying around with a V6 for the next generation Ute. Uh, you know, Byron, I think you're quite across the, what Ford are planning with their next Ranger. Mm, mm, exactly. So, um, you know, we're talking about cars that are going to get bigger and let's face it, closer to the Ford F-Series, uh, yeah. if not well, size, but also definitely kind of toughness and truckness. And uh, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if the next Hilux really does morph into some sort of American Tacoma, Toyota Tacoma, Tacoma style. Tundra, not by Tundra, know, but bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're, 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 and talking, you're absolutely right. I mean, this platform is ancient underneath the current Hilux. I mean, I've put a lot of lipstick on that thing and, uh, you know, it's a good looking thing and obviously sells and appeals, but for them to engineer a V6 diesel so yeah. late in its life yeah. for, uh, the relatively small volume, no, nah, I think that, yeah, it's definitely going to happen, but I, yeah, don't, don't be holding your breath people it's worth pointing out that you know toyota australia has trademarked the name gr hilux so we're not talking kind of fairy floss dreams here it's it's seemingly real but to you got your guys point it's uh when it happens 
um, and and you know not likely with this generation, but twenty twenty three. Yep. Yeah. I mean, of course, like Raptor needs to be dealt with. Uh, you know, also the gladiola. I mean, the gladiator from Jeep needs. You know, you, that, that need, yeah. you know, you need to put some sting in the tail of the Hilux to you know to get into that kind of level of, yeah. of um, a sports truckdom. And uh, GR is the natural, so of course Toyota is going to um, um, yeah. try to make the name. As you know, through history, uh, the Japanese car companies in the '60s trademarked pretty much every everything English yeah. noun they could. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know. Which is still to this day affects everyone. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and still they went for silica and uh, <laughs> uh, Gloria. <laughs> Gloria, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, when you think about the names, you've got Raptor and Gladiator and Kazoo. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you're welcome. I mean, bless you. <laughs> but but it sparks a thought, uh, Byron, and we were talking about this earlier. But in terms of affordability, um, price, of course, will be an issue if and when this, this one rolls around. But utes generally have bucked the trend in terms of affordability relative to a cost of living and income and other factors. Can you fill us in on where you've been on that score? Oh, absolutely. So uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was playing with the, uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia calculator. As, which as is, you do. As you do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, like uh, us use journos, we like to see what price relativity exists compared no, to what. I thought that was the last time you were in the Reserve Bank, you just nicked one of their calculators. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's true too, but, you know, that's, that that court case is coming, that's pending, so yeah, right. I can't talk about it. Um, but, yeah, so uh, the affordability, I, it, it was an article that is uh, currently on carsguide.com.au, check it out, um, on the, afford, the real affordability of cars, and I've chosen... Uh, Toyotas because Toyotas have been um, present in every segment that is major consistently for the last 50 years. Yeah. So using the, uh, since we're in a, in a whole number year, 2020, I've gone back 50 years through to, uh, back to 1970 before, well before we were born, James. And, and <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, what I found interesting is the Hilux bucks a trend. The trend being that using the Corolla, just a base manual Corolla as an example, yep. uh, this year uh, the new Ascent Sport manual, which is a brilliant little gearbox, by the way, could buy more manuals, good people, mm-hmm. um, that costs $23,895. But, um, you know, we tend to think, gee, that's a lot of money for a base Corolla manual. But in 2010 adjusted the uh this the the equivalent the 2010 equivalent corolla manual was 26 grand in today's wow. money wow. um going back further in 2000 the uh the sydney olympics year a base corolla was thirty one thousand eight hundred eleven dollars. is that right yep and so that was um and then uh, it drops back um down to 30 for 1990 uh 25 in 1980 dollars uh uh $1980 in today's money i see and the 1970 KE20, in which our esteemed editor, Mal Flynn, has a KE20 Corolla. Yeah, he does. Uh, we, we should flash a picture of that car up um, right there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> that car was still $25,781 in today's money. So, um, uh, so that's the Corolla. And that trend is pretty much uh, mirrored with light cars, such as the Yaris yep. slash Echo slash Starlet, yep. uh, going back to 1996. 
Uh, the Camry. Oh my goodness. The, the, the base Camry is $28,990 today. Uh, just 10 years ago, the same car in today's money was 36 and a half grand. Wow. Um, and wow. in 2000, uh, Tung probably knows the answer because his sub might work, but do you want to guess how much it was in 2000? How much Corolla, uh, Camry, base Camry Auto was in 2000? In, in today's dollars? Yeah. Oh, st- still mid 30s? $44,407. Yeah. Um, and when you, so, when you think about the extra safety, the extra tech that is just baked into every Corolla and Camry model now, um, aside from just like for like on dollars, like for like on spec, they're, they're nowhere near it. Well, it's funny you say that because in my article, I point out that um, if you spec the safety features ah. that were available, which most of them weren't yeah. um, back in 2000, 2010, you'd have to go to to the... $200,000 Lexus LS to get those To features. get that technology, yeah, right. Yeah. So anyway, so the same applies to the Yaris and the RAV4. The RAV4 is actually interesting. The RAV4 is cheaper than ever in, yep. um, in real money. Like um, I use just the base 2-litre GX uh, automatic, which uh, there is a manual version of that, but the automatic obviously is the one. And that car's a gem, by the way. Like, it's mm-hmm. such a – I, I love it. Anyway. Uh, that car at the moment's recommended retail price is $34,695. Um, uh, 10 years ago, the same type of car with far less equipment, mind you, was 37. But, but in 2000, uh, which I think it was the dot-com boom and bust year, yeah. it was $48,740 for a base five-door auto wow. RAV. So, you know. But then, but then the, the inverse of that is the Hilux. That's right. So... Today's Hilux, now I use the SR because SR5, yep. because SR5, you may not know, folks, but the SR5 badge has been around since 1979. So no wonder people just default to Hilux. What, like, is it, sure. what does it stand for, Byron? What does it mean? It's, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you asked that. I, I'm not <laughs> looking at anything here in particular, but it's, the, I, I think I wrote it in my, my review, in my story. Uh, Sport Rally 5. Sport Rally Sport 5. Rally five speed five. manual. Yep. Yep, because yep, it, um, it it uh, it gained an extra ratio. That, you know, in 1979, having a five-speed truck was, you know, pretty special. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so an SR5 dual cab manual petrol is fifty-three thousand six six hundred ninety dollars today. All right. Ten years ago, it was fifty thousand. Yeah. Twenty years ago, it was forty-four thousand, and that was the do- that was the and these are still the same configuration. Yeah, obviously yeah. less safety, blah blah blah, and um, fewer equipment levels. Uh, in nineteen ninety, it was thirty-nine. In nineteen eighty, it was twenty-seven and a half. Wow. And in nineteen seventy, and the last two two uh, were single cabs only. Okay. Uh, the that was it was twenty-four thousand five hundred dollars. So basically, <laughs> something's happening here. Mm. Um, the Hilux and all pickup trucks, it's not just Toyota, all pickup trucks are inverse, offer inverse value compared to their passenger In car. In terms of affordability. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Wow. Yeah. So traders out there, um, you know, haggle hard because you're getting ripped off, people. And <laughs> Jesus, just, just haggle hard because they must be making hand over fist profit. You know, particularly for the older trucks that you know uh, amortize their investment, you know, 
Two thousand. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, wow. Yeah. Well, that that is that is interesting. So, and that story is on on carsguide.com.au. So, thank you, Byron. But we be, we better move on. And um, I'd like to move to our garage and cars that have been occupying it. And normally it's all shiny, fresh metal. Uh, but this week, a little bit different. Tung, I want to start with you. Yep. You've made a purchase because your car requirements are going to change very shortly. Yes. Uh, fill us in on what you've done. Well, uh, the wife and I, uh, we've been uh, we've been the proud owners of a Volkswagen Up, um, you know, a tiny little five-door hatchback for a number of years now. But um, uh, we have the wonderful news that uh, my wife is pregnant and we're, we're expecting our first child uh, due in the next sort of three weeks or so. So, of course, uh, we had to uh, sell the Up and get a bigger car. What we decided on was uh, it's a 2015 Skoda Octavia RS wagon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, so big boot, uh, you know, lots of space for the child seat, lots of space for the pram, the groceries, everything we need, but still with a punchy two-liter turbo petrol engine, uh, you know, for when you want to take it for a spirited drive. And of course, the lovely Matthew Pritchard is flashing a picture of it up on screen now. I can't <laughs> help what, myself. What about the normal single... Matthew Pritchard? Is, have, we got a, have we got another Matthew Pritchard working for us? I no, he's he's uh, he's away on holidays. <laughs> Uh, where did that come from? The voice of God. Yes. <laughs> um, but with all cars that I own, I cannot help myself. I, mm. I need to tinker, I need to modify, I need to tweak and change. So um, in addition to having a child seat installed in the back, yeah. uh, I've got some wider 19-inch wheels uh, on it hey. and I've followed the suspension. Um, so, you know, hopefully it'll drive a little bit better and it'll uh, keep me entertained for the years to come that I'm going to own it. Now we've had we've had commentary before from some of our listeners and viewers saying that Skoda and the Octavia in particular seems to be a real favourite with motoring journalists. That yes. that there are quite a few on them. Richard's in a, a Skoda a Skoda at the moment. Um, do you, who else can you? There are colleagues that have them, aren't there, Tom? Uh, there are, there are a few. Uh, I won't name them uh, all. Can I interject? Of... <laughs> I, just, I might interject that great Peter Robinson has a Skoda Octavia ah, wagon. Does he really? It's his retirement car. wagon, so right. Is it, so it's an RS or, or, or a non-RS? No, he, he's got one. He, he Like the RS, he's got the one with the independent rear suspension, so he's got a higher-powered four-cylinder turbo. The name escapes me. I think it's either 132 or 140. Okay. To your side, yeah, right. a bell, Tom, or that, they, that era? Because he bought... Generation? He's like yours. His is twenty fifteen. Oh, yeah. yep. So, yep. yep. So, yep. So, if yeah. if um if uh if Tung and Robbo have a <laughs> have a uh, well, that's a ringing endorsement. That is absolutely yeah. all right. The, the running yeah. gear and uh, technology of a Volkswagen uh, at a more affordable price. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as you're not a bad snob, you know, Skoda's or Skoda's yeah. will fit the deal quite easily. And yeah, it, it fits all. It ticks all of that uh, in terms of pragmatism over flashiness and and. Uh, yeah, it's a thinking person's choice. So well done, Tool. But you. also, it's a damn good looking wagon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, handsome. True. And and Tung's, as you can see from the photo that the uh, the lovely Matt, Matthew Pritchard uh, has put up, <laughs> yeah. um, he's modified it slightly, uh -huh. and it lends itself to it just lends itself to that sort of yeah. um, shenanigans, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Very good. Now, look, we'll thank you, Tung. We'll move on. And Byron, uh, pe people who have um, tuned in when you've been part of the podcast uh, cast before will know that you do own several vehicles. You, you have more than a handful and you've added to that little uh, portfolio and you're in it right now. So I am. Us, please, um, look, what you've heard. So um, 
we're going back in time. We uh, we step in back in time, just like Kylie Minogue to nineteen ninety, <laughs> the year that song came out too. By the way, okay. Um, and I am in the back of an EA Series Two Ford Falcon, uh, which I purchased last month uh, from the lovely uh, Gage Row. Uh, who uh, is one of our uh, viewers, Okay. Uh, although not through this show. Uh, and I picked it up for $1,500, and it is basically a one-owner uh, base model GL automatic with a 3.9 um, throttle port injected engine, yeah. and yeah. it's in Chardonnay. So I'm sure uh, the lovely Matthew is now, uh, we're panning across this car's nice. beautiful Clive Potter design flanks. Yeah. I have always thought that the EA Falcon, uh, I always thought that this car was the prettiest Falcon ever. Not right. the most handsome in the XY um, and even, you know, FG or BA, yep. XR8 or GT sort of way, but just pretty. This car is, in my opinion, a design masterpiece. It's right up there with the VE Commodore yep. as just timeless australian design and yes. um like i, I like if you can see i'm sitting in the back seat uh earlier today uh, or earlier uh, one of you guys was commenting on the um quarter the, window um, the quarter window that's right the, it's evocative and it this car was a modern a very modern car in 1988 when it was released it, re it replaced the also modern xd falcon but that car was uh very influenced by sure. the uh, the Ford Granada. This car, although Peter Carter did a great job there, this car here is was very much a Ford Australia effort uh, during a time when Ford Australia was riding the crest of the wave of popularity, sure. um, and yeah. they had they, they were just the jewel in the Ford Motor Company crown, yeah. and they had the, and they came up with this absolute design masterpiece i feel less so about the wagon which i think is still a good looking thing but mm. the sedan particularly um i've always loved it i love looking at this car in the same way that i, I had a citizen ds and i will have another citizen ds if i have a chance if i ever get money um but uh -huh. man I, I look at the these cars in a i'm not saying it's the same it's in the same category but just it's interesting design. I love interesting yeah. design, and this is what yeah. this car represents. And for fifteen hundred bucks, and this car's a rust-free, clean, never crashed, Unreal. everything working. That's amazing. Example. That's mm. amazing. I, yeah. I remember being at the launch of that car, the the long lead uh, magazine launch at um, the Yu Yangs, and driving an EA uh, around their um, high speed track, and thinking, yeah, this is this is quite a car. It it was. Um, in response to VN, which had come, uh, you know, at roughly the same time, it seemed as though it had a, a stance and a, and a kind of um, completeness to its design that the Holden didn't quite have. Mm -hmm. and, the, and this being an EA2 has the four-speed automatic, which yeah. um, was the transmission originally designed for the overhead cam uh, 3.9, which, by the way, this is the era also when Ford went from the overhead valve to the overhead cam or the push yeah. rod to the overhead valve. Um, yep. cam engines and um you know it's oh, it's far from perfect and it's still a little bit of a bar to drive today i mean falcons yep. have you know always have driven well but they never really became world class i think until the ba um, so does it it has its alloy head badge on the side of the car ah uh, no that was that was the previous generation so that ah. that, that was that, that alloy head badge uh denoted the honda built um alloy head uh that came out in the 1980 xd falcon ah. series 2 
Ah, oh, um, wasn't okay. And carried on through to pretty much, I think, through to the XF. Maybe the, the X, F, XF lost the badge. I can't remember. Okay. I'm sure someone will tell us. But yeah, um, well. and so it's uh, yeah, it's in the. I'm I'm in the back seat. Um, you know, hold on by uh, Wilson Phillips has just played because it's 1990 and Maxi Priest is about to come on. Um, and I feel that too. Like it was, you know, right. I was I was I was in my early 20s at the time. Um, in 19 into in 1990 and. I remember thinking, gee, we're lucky to have such beautiful cars on the road that we've all it kind of got spoiled by them being cabs and, you know, breaking down yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's, I don't know how long I'm going to keep this car, but I, it's certainly fulfilling that part of me that's a bit nuts, but also... That is you know, brilliant. That, that is a fantastic acquisition. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. Well, I'll just I'll finish it off by saying that in the in the last week I've been in a Volkswagen Touareg, the Adventure, which is a special edition, um, and it's just over ninety thousand, like ninety one thousand dollars before you've put it on the road. It's based on the one ninety TDI Premium, which is actually an eighty seven thousand odd dollar car. So um, it's it's a few thousand dollars more than the car it's based on, and it gets a whole bunch of stuff. Um, some cosmetic aesthetic, some of it more meaningful. Um, you get advanced, additional advanced off-road settings um, for gravel and sand, so that's where the adventure bit comes in. You actually drop down from a 20-inch wheel to a 19, um, and the tyres are a little bit more attuned to actually heading off-highway. Um, and you get some nice leather interior, um, two, two different um, colour options. Uh, the area view, uh, park assist, um, roof bars, various other accessories, a whole bunch of stuff. So it's a three-litre turbo diesel V6, um, eight-speed auto, all-wheel drive, 190 kilowatts, 600 newton metres, which is Polenti, um, and that's all available from 2250 RPM. Um, and the plus column I gave it, ride comfort, is amazing. That Touareg, it reminded me I went to the launch of this car, and that air suspension works magic. It's incredible how beautifully that car rides. Um, the torque, all, all of that 600 newton metres is just there when you need it. It's so enjoyable to drive because it just has so much push in, in the mid-range. Um, the seats are very nice too, um, the front seats more particularly because that's the one I was occupying. Heated and cooled, by the way, but the shape of the seats are, are extremely nice. And just the overall refinement of that Tuareg package is super impressive. Um, Look, on, on the negative side, it has four-wheel steer, this adventure model, um, as well. And despite that, I'd say there's not exactly an intimate relationship between your hands and what the front wheels are doing. Yeah. Uh, okay, it's not a sports car. It's a big SUV, but still, you'd just like a little more connection. Um, this car has the standard dash, so analog dials with a little um, digi panel in between. Whereas if you go for your innovation, Innovision package, which is $8,000, um, you'll get your big fancy digi screens and a bigger multimedia screen. But I'd say you don't really need that. I found, I found this car to be perfectly workable and very attractive in terms of its interior design. Um, and this car was finished in Satura beige, um, metallic. But that's an extra two grand. So you're paying $2,000 for metallic paint, which to me seems a little bit steep. Um, but the, the interior and that exterior colour for mine worked very well together and I enjoyed driving that car um, thoroughly um, during the week. It was a real pleasure. So, yep, it's, it's a fair chunk of change, 
But if you're in the market for one of those big SUVs, I think they could maybe think about a seven-seat option because it seems um, <laughs> almost obscene to have such a big vehicle and it's, it's um, just a five-seater. But, um, yeah, really enjoyable. Uh, James, just wondering, um, you know, obviously that car has a relationship with the Audi Q7. Correct. Do you think that uh, the, the car puts that car in perspective or as, oh, as maybe? It does. When you think about um, KN and Q7 and the Bentley Bentayga and the Volkswagen Touareg and all of them running on, you know, what is largely the same underpinnings. Lamborghinis as well, yeah. Uh, the, sorry? The Lamborghini Urus. Lamborghini Urus. Um, when you think about that Volkswagen at that price, it is such a great car. You know, and relative to other five-seat SUVs, yeah, it's on the expensive side. But relative to the other cars based on that platform, it's brilliant value. Yep. I think it does put, it shines a fairly harsh light on the, on the Q7 because <laughs> um, it's, it, yeah, very good. And speaking of nice, it's now time for Muskwatch. Right. So we were talking last week that um, battery day, this so big battery day was coming up. And sure enough, it's happened. It was a shareholder meeting. Um, and there were also lots of uh, announcements uh, during this thing. It's very odd because it looked like a drive-in movie. There was a stage and people in their Teslas in a car park uh, taking in everything that was said and put up on a giant screen and weirdly beeping their horn in approval for various things. It was an incredible nerd out in terms of uh, Tesla-ness. But the lots of stuff, the key takeout was a new battery cell. So it, it's being referred to as the biscuit tin battery cell. Um, it's much more efficient. Um, it's a little way off for production, but it's going to offer allegedly a 16% improvement in vehicle range. Um, also spoke about a single piece front and rear pressing. Uh, for upcoming models, but that's getting much closer to being production ready. Um, and also the big news was uh, a, a Model S plaid that's been um, much spoken about, but now it's available for order. So it's ludicrously fast. It's beyond ludicrous. It's actually plaid mode. But also a new affordable Tesla, as in a $25,000 model, uh, probably called the Model 2, in three years. And that just uh, seems like another big deal like let's let's make some big noise um but ew niedermeyer who's um communications director for a, a mob called pave campaign which is partners for automated vehicle education so he's all about autonomous vehicles says on twitter this is the great filter if you believe this you'll believe literally anything musk says um, and uh, he says he hasn't noticeably changed anything about his approach to building better manufacturing culture since, since it led into the biggest manufacturing debacle in modern automotive history. says he's still reinventing instead of continuously improving. And I thought that was a really interesting point, and it got me thinking about some of the promises that Elon has made that are still yet to be uh, fulfilled. And... You might remember that this year we were meant to be amongst a million robo-taxis on the road because they'd all be autonomous vehicles. Um, and I found a Reddit thread um, from a guy called Musklem. And in September 2015, Elon said that we would have fully autonomous vehicles by 2018. Um, 
In, 20, in 2016, October 2016, he said there will be a fully autonomous demonstration drive from LA to New York by the end of 2017. Um, and then in May 2019, he said Tesla cars will be able to operate without any driver intervention by 2020. So here we are in September 2020, he said we're going to have a $25,000 fully automated, uh, automated and autonomous Model 2 Tesla about three years from now. So I think, I think there's a pattern here and it'll be very interesting to look back in 2023 and see where we're at. Mm. So I, like, I want it to happen. I would love more affordable Teslas, uh, you know, electric cars for the masses. Yeah. Um, you know, like you've laid out, JC, you know, uh, Mr. Mr. Elon Musk has a has a bit of a habit or a history of uh, over promising and under delivering. Yeah. Look, I, look, others others come in just to play devil's advocate on my own uh, bit. Uh, he's delivered spaceships. He's delivered rockets. He's brought each of the models um, that he was talking about to market. Although the I think it was three years ago um, the the semi truck the semi um, yep. was, was first shown, and there's no sign of the Roadster and and yep. any of those, but. He eventually kind of gets there. I think it's the overpromise and the slow delivery um, is, yeah. is more yeah. the thing. Yeah, I, I agree, James and Tong. And also, um, you got to look at the success of the three. I mean, yeah, that car is, you know, and that that is the the, the, the you know the, the the crowning glory here in a way because mm. it is much more affordable than an S or an X, and people even in. Um, sedan-hating America, or well, I know they love sedans, but SUV-loving and truck-loving America, they've yeah. embraced that car, and it's already the um, history's best-selling yeah. electric vehicle. Yeah. You know, the fact that he's put the, he's thrown down this gauntlet and said, this is what we're aiming to do in three years' time, yeah. should strike fear in every other car company's, yeah. uh, in every other car company. And I'm talking not fear, like panic, not just yeah. fear. Maybe. Um, you know, it might be a year late, it might even mm -hmm. be two years late, and it might be $30,000, but even then, I mean, we're talking US, so, we, you know, but still a $40,000, you know, uh, Model 2 in Australia would, I think, just, it would just smash it, don't you think? I suppose so. I suppose the, the cynic in me says there's a certain amount of stock manipulation here. That, 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 <laughs> the, the, the big announcement is always to drive um, a surge in the stock price. Mate, and whatever it takes to develop this car. I suppose so, but it, it gets to um, – we'll, look, we'll deal with that later when we look at the share price for Tesla. It's an interesting one to come back. To come back. All right? Which we can't be too far away from. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but then also on Twitter, Elon put out a tweet saying, you know, if you feel Neuralink might have incorrectly overlooked your resume or declined to make an offer, please link, uh, let me know in the comments below. Because he put out a shout-out saying, look, if you've got experience – with phones and wearables and inductive charging and power management and all these things, um, get in touch with engineering at Neuralink.com. So um, he said also in a follow-up, a prior track record of exceptional achievement in engineering is required, but no prior experience working on the brain or human physiology is required. We'll teach you what's known about the brain, which is not much, to be honest. So that's what he says on Twitter. So... Omri Heifler said, just so you know, you have missed out on the best microfabricator in Tel Aviv. And then he says, hmm, sounded more impressive in my head. <laughs> and then Josh says, didn't even acknowledgement. 
fabrication <laughs> engineer position. And then he came in again and said, not doing myself any favours by forgetting how to write. <laughs> <laughs> and Tysard said, hello, Mr. Musk. I am 100% unqualified, but I've been sealing electronics for years using Ziploc plastic bags. Please consider hiring me at Neuralink. Sometimes I'm funny, and that's got to count for something. So I, I hope I hope Tysard gets a run. But I'd, then, I'd hire him. Yeah. Also on Twitter, Elon put out just a one-line tweet saying, of course I still love you. All right, And that actually relates to one of two drone ships that uh, SpaceX uses to recover stuff that's been jettisoned by rockets um, taking off or coming back to Earth or whatever. The other one's called Just Read the Instructions. So there's, of course, I still love you and just read the instructions. But most people took that tweet at face value. And Christina said, you're the reason I get up in the morning. <laughs> I thought, that's really dire um, if Christina is using that as motivation. DAF, so I'm not sure what D is, but it's AF, is, it says, is everything okay at home, Elon? Which, which I thought was very caring and charitable. But Nathan Johnson killed it by saying, thank you, Daddy, Daddy Musk. I love you too. Now choke me. <laughs> which, I thought, which I thought was really funny. Um, but the, the share price post, um, you know, shareholder meeting and battery day is $380.36. And it was 441 last week. Um, so there's been a fall, quite a distinct fall after battery day. And I looked at Roadshow by CNET, and they are saying that despite a lot of good stuff that was put out there, including the $25,000 Model S and, and all that stuff, the market is saying, look, it's all three years out. There's nothing that's going to impact the business in the short term, and that's what they're about. So they actually, a lot of people sold off and they made their recommendations on the basis of, hmm, not much to see here because it's not benefiting the company in the short term. So there you go. And I think with that, we have reached the finish line. And I want to say thank you, Tung. Thank you. And thank you, Byron. Oh, thank you, James and Tung. And thanks to our digital sensei, interpretive dance tutor and direct debit specialist, Mr. Pritchard, for bringing this shamozzle together. Today, today he's wearing a T-shirt saying, I may be wrong, but it's highly unlikely. Chicken drumstick pants and LED Batman sneakers. Please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CG Podcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, I was in an Uber this week and we were pulled over for a random breath test. Cop asked the driver for his license. He hands it over and the cop says, it says here, you're supposed to be wearing glasses. The driver says, I have contacts. The cop says, look, pal, I don't care who you know, you're supposed to be wearing glasses. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> oh, dear. There it is. <laughs>